Welcome to Research Uncensored, a podcast by Research FDI, your trusted investment attraction and business intelligence partner. Join me, Bruce Tackefman, and my co-host, Amber Hunter, as we bring you behind the scenes with economic development professionals around the world. We're going to find out the real stories behind the project wins and get to know some of the top players in the game today. We would like to thank the Next Move Group for sponsoring today's podcast. Next Move Group helps small to medium-sized companies, communities, and organizations create economic growth through executive searches that assist economic development organizations with hiring quality EDO professionals. They also provide site selection services to manufacturers, in addition to a suite of products designed to help organizations be successful. Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 5 of Research Uncensored. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Amber Hunter. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm happy that we have Carla Moran on the episode today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about her? Yeah, absolutely. Carla is one of the top economic developers in Arizona and the U.S. She started her career at the Arizona Commerce Authority, then moved on to the city of Gilbert, and now she is the top economic developer at the Salt River Project in Phoenix. So we're super excited to have her on the show today. Oh, that's great. Um, so let's dial her in. All right, let's welcome our next guest all the way from Phoenix, Carla Moran. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Is it uh, Carla Tixera Moran or just Carla Moran these days? Um, I just go by Carla Moran because... Um, most people can't pronounce my maiden name. And so when I got married, it just became a lot easier. So I, I slowly started dropping it. All right, perfect. So we'll go with uh, Carla Moran. So really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. No problem. I'm glad, um, glad to be able to join you. Now, obviously, these past 12 months have been challenging for everyone, especially you, even you as a top 50 North American economic developer and also you're a top 50 mom in the USA and probably a top 50 mom around the world. So how have you been able to balance kind of your work-life balance uh, with your kids running around, but also being uh, at the top of your profession right now? I appreciate that. I don't, I, um, from my point of view, I'm not sure if I'm balancing a whole lot, but um, no, I joke around. Uh, I spend a lot of time on my calendar and trying to carve out time um, to make sure that I am present for my kids, but also give work time to my job. And it's funny. Um, I found that I am honestly most effective around eight o'clock after the kids gone to bed. And if I have to spend time and hammer out a proposal or just be really focused, um, that's around the time that I've been able to be successful. Um, it's been a balancing act though. It's probably the ch- most challenging is trying to figure out that work-life balance. Um, since I haven't been able to travel, um, I'm used to travel, you know, once, twice a week or twice a month from now. I'm, um, haven't gone anywhere since last March. Uh, it's changed the way I've had to work and I've had a kind of been really flexible. Um, I do miss traveling though. I'm ready to get back and start going on sales missions and trade shows and, um, just going out and seeing people. But, um, there's things that I've enjoyed about being home, obviously seeing the kids, spending more time with the kids. So it's been, uh, I think every week, I learned something new about myself. Um, I definitely, I'm at the point that I'm I'm ready to get back. Um, I miss seeing people. I believe uh, you have uh, two boys, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. I have a seven and four-year-old that uh, will keep me on my toes and interrupt meetings. Um, But, you know, it's it's part of the course. And I've become a master at the mute button. 
um, my cursor is over the mute button all the time. So just in case, um, most of my colleagues laugh because when I come off mute, it sounds like a ruckus has just occurred and they're screaming, and yelling, and I respond quickly and then put myself back on mute. Um, but <laughs> it is what it is. And um, I still be able to get my job done. And um, so you just have to make it work. And everybody else has an interesting situation that they're going through. So I feel like I'm not unique at all in, this, in the mute, in the learning how to master the mute. Hi, Carla. This is Amber. Thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, I think everyone can re- relate uh, that the pandemic has really, you know, kind of affected the, the balance between work life and uh, personal, that balance. But I'm curious, you know, how it's sort of affected you on the professional sense in terms of what investment trends have you seen this year? And, you know, is there, is there any trends that you think are going to come from the pandemic? And, and in way, you know, we've read a lot recently that foreign direct investment is taking a big hit. Do you think that you're going to see more traction domestically because of that? Or do you still think that there will be traction, you know, internationally in terms of uh, economic development? You know, I think there's still a lot of pent up demand in foreign direct investment. I mean, they have a lot of people want to come see uh, visit where they're going to invest and they haven't been able to do that. Um, so I think there's companies that are just holding their investments to the point where they, you know, as soon as that they're able, they're going to be behind the eight ball and they're going to have to hurry, you know, so it's going to be this as soon as it, you know, as soon as they're able to come and travel and um, come see the sites that they'll end up um, going quickly. Um, and I think, I think it's just a matter of time before that uh, demand just kind of explodes. Um, we've seen a lot of domestic Obviously, anything that's related to e-commerce, I joke around. I think now I have everything delivered um, to the house, which makes life a lot easier when you do have two boys and you're trying to work. Um, so we've had in uh, Phoenix Market, we've had a lot of um, e-commerce distribution that has kicked up in the past 12 months. Um, but we've seen an abundance of um, industrial manufacturers um, looking in the area. Um, I was kind of surprised. I thought we were going to be slow for a while. And we had about two months of slowness. And then just the industrial projects started coming through. And we've had a lot of industrial. We've had a little bit of office. We've had some success. Uh, yesterday, um, Scott Sylvia announced a re- uh, relocate from Seattle or from Bellevue, Washington. Um, so that was a uniqueness. I, I don't think those are, I think there's a more diamond dozen right now, um, but we've had some great wins in um, the semiconductor space, um, CMC steel. And so I think there's things that still have to move forward. And obviously in manufacturing, um, those people are um, going to work each day. And so they need a workforce that's um, able to do that and then um, a growing workforce. So I, I think Phoenix has been relatively lucky um, during this um in certain sectors during this pandemic, our tourism sector has not done so well. So there are, has been some winners and losers, but hopefully I, I think some of those things will change soon. Um, we've been rolling out the vaccine in, uh, um, in a large amount here in Arizona. So um, we'll see how that affects the opening up um, the state and allowing for some more travel. Well, please send some of those vaccines up to Canada. We're, getting, we're a little slow in our rollout, but any, anything you could send to your Northern neighbor would be appreciated. I'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, backing up, you started your uh, economic development career uh, at the Arizona Commerce Authority, uh, the state entity for Arizona. Uh, you were there for over eight years. What were some of your highlights there uh, uh, representing the state? Uh, what were some of your biggest wins over at AZ Commerce? Oh, you know, um, the years that I was there, it was a very interesting time. Um, it was 
during um, 2008. So there were the, the whole, you know, our whole not our industry, but our whole sector just crashed. Um, we had high unemployment, housing foreclosures were through the roof. I was, I find myself very lucky to, um, to still have a job. We weren't allowed to travel. Um, so all of a sudden, um, doing business attraction for indirect investment was very difficult. Um, so we, I ended up having to pick up different types of um jobs within the organization. So, you know, I ran the Aerospace and Defense Commission and um, did a lot of BRE visits too and some stuff in innovation. So um, I felt like I, during those times, I became a, a jack of all trade. Um, that was, it was actually when we were the Arizona Department of Commerce and we went through a switch to the Arizona Commerce Authority, um, which was a public private entity. During, um, when that happened, um, we were able to do a lot more things. There was a lot of bills that were passed that helped um, with incentives. Um, so we became a lot more, uh, say, say, competitive in a lot of natures, a lot of the nature. So it was an exciting time to be around. And um, one of the last projects I worked on was um, when Apple actually looked to invest in Arizona. Um, there, you know, the site selection process with large companies like that is always different. It's not the normal site selection process. Um, so sometimes they do things backwards. Um, so those are always like learning experiences and just the things that drive certain projects and what they were trying to get done. Um, obviously, they have their own agenda. And so trying to figure out how to best align that with the state and the communities and making sure that everyone wins um, is always an interesting ballot. Um, I think you learn a lot with those big projects, but some of the smaller projects, I had a couple of international projects that I worked on right before I left. And um, those were, you know, I find those a little bit more interesting because, you know, at first it starts with five, 10 people, but you know, when a company overseas likes the market that they're in, they will organically grow there. Right. And so they might start off with three or four or five, but you know, all of a sudden you got a hundred person office and that manufacturing R and D. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity in international and watching them grow is just really fascinating. And um, they end up really taking pride into the community that they uh, move into. So uh, a lot of them um, I still communicate with. And it's just, uh, I think some of those are probably more my favorite projects to work on. Yeah, I agree. Often it might start with a one or two person sales office, but then it could end up exploding, like you said, uh, into like 25, 100, 200 jobs. So um, I guess patience and, le- and I guess relationship nurturing really pays off with those projects. And in, in, in the context of relationship nurturing, uh, as a leader of economic development in the USA, talk about the importance of networking uh, with site selectors and companies. Uh, Pre-COVID, what was your strategy to meet with site selectors and companies? Um, gosh, I feel like pre-COVID was so long ago and trying to figure <laughs> out what we did back then. Um, definitely focused on trade shows within our uh, sector and um, did outreach, direct outreach to this, those companies. Um, worked with uh, consultants to help set up meetings for us at trade shows, which is valuable. Um, and then site selector, I feel like that's a whole different animal, right? So um, within our market, site selectors account for about, you know, 50 to 60 percent of the projects that we see that come through the market. So we spend a good amount of time with them. Um, so making sure there's a relationship there, attending some of those conferences that are connected to them, um, the site selector guild, consultant connect, area development. Um, so kind of spreading a little bit, um, doing some of that work. 
uh, now post COVID, I find it much difficult, to, much more difficult to do the direct outreach to companies. Um, still engaging with consultants to help with that because I find it um, even more challenging right now during our time. Um, consultants, it's been easier because we've had those relationships. And so calling them up and asking for time hasn't been um, as challenging as I thought it was. You know, most of them are willing to provide, you know, a 20, 30 minutes conversation. You give them an update what's going on in your market. I think I'm lucky because I've had those relationships. So it's been a little bit easier to um, have dialogue. Um, some of the, you know, the guild has also had to kind of restructure consultant connect is restructured and how they can um, engage consultants with communities. And I think those have been great because those still provide value um, while still being at home. So uh, trying to get in front of them though, uh, the consultants has um, it's been surprisingly easier, but the companies, I, I find it probably even more, it's probably harder. And so um, using as many networks, networks you can um, and joining as many associations that are part of your sectors that you're trying to go after has helped, um, but still it's, I think it's challenging. That's why I look forward to get back in, getting back into the market. Absolutely. I think we're all waiting with bated breath at this point to, to do anything. Um, you know, I have a question because I, I believe that you worked at the Arizona Commerce Authority and then you moved on to the city of Gilbert. And I'm really curious, what were the key differences from working at a state level entity to a municipal level? Eye opening, I will say. Um, I thought I knew it took to get the project over a finish line. Had no idea until I got to city how difficult that is sometimes. Um, you know, at the state, we're really good at bringing in leads and um, trying to close a project out. But it's really the city that gets it over the finish line. Um, and then it also really helps with that relationship building. Um, I was just in shock, like how small things could really could make or break a project, you know, easements or parking ratios it just it was always interesting the things that all of a sudden would really cause a headache and have to get solved and um, I think those are things that aren't seen and aren't um, kind of brushed underneath the rug because no one wants to talk about them but there are things that are hard to work through sometimes and takes a lot um, for the local economic developer to get through Um, even local politics sometimes um, votes that have to go to council just things that could you know, I don't want to say derail a project, but you take take it to different swing on it. And so um, I learned a lot during my time there. Um, kind of wish I stayed a little bit longer, um, but I had an opportunity to go to the utility. And um, I do have a passion more for regional work. Um, and so I just kind of gravitate there, but I learned a lot from the city. And I will say that um, the work they do is, endless and I don't think always gets noticed. So um, there are huge partners in getting projects over the finish line. Absolutely. And that's a great segue because I know that you now head up, you know, the economic development efforts for the Salt River Project, which is a utility provider. Can you tell our listeners what that role is, what that mission entails and how utilities, uh, you know, play such an important role in economic development? Yeah, so it was really interesting actually when I came aboard. Um, we didn't have a strategic plan in place. And so it was um, something that we actually did about four years ago, three, year, three and a half years ago now. Um, and so we put together an economic development plan that focused on um, attraction, expansion, innovation, um, community development, uh, product development. And so um, 
I feel like we've gotten a lot of traction since we've had that plan in place. Internally, people understand what our role is. <laughs> Externally, people understand what our role is. Um, but we're really a partner with our communities. We're getting out there and promoting their sites, um, promoting sites that are, you know, maybe have strong power capabilities um, on a large scale. Um, so we know not just on sites, but we also work with community development. So we have um, community members that um, we help with workforce development or we'll help with them um, if they need a strategic plan or if they need some marketing materials for a site or just for the city. Um, so we try to figure out what their need is and what their goals are. And we try to help them with that. Cause if we're all succeeding, then the utility partners are us, SRP is succeeding. So um, we want them to achieve their goals. And by that we'll then we'll achieve our goals. Um, and I think that's, you know, to the extent almost everywhere, you know, if, if our communities are thriving, thriving and growing, then the utility is, and we're doing well. Um, so we're not for profit. So um, we're not really looking to, profit from that, but we want to reinvest in our communities and make our um, community a better place to, to live. And so uh, that's really where we focus our time and effort on. What level of support do you provide to your community partners? How, how far do you go? And uh, do, do you even provide mentorship uh, to some of the younger talent in those in those communities? Yeah. So um, I joke around that we're just an extension of their office, right? And so, you know, what do they need? How can we help them? Like, how are we going to um, there's a certain project that or initiative they're working on. How can we partner with them to make that even bigger and better? Um, so there's a lot. I joke around. We morph a little bit depending on the city. So if we have a city that's more of a bedroom community, what do they need is very different from what community that's doing attracting heavy industrial. So um, we have to figure out what they need. Um, but to the extent of kind of the mentoring, um, I'm involved in our local Arizona Economic Development Association, um, AAED, and um, we're putting together some mentoring programs for that because as we're seeing from the younger, there's not as many younger professionals coming in through them up in the ranks. And so really trying to um, get people interested in economic development, understand it, it is a profession. <laughs> you, can, you can make a living off of this, a really good one, and um, kind of there are so many avenues you can go down to. I think that's probably the most exciting thing about economic development. You can focus on business attraction or you can focus on workforce or you can fo focus on innovation. I mean, there are so many components of economic development um, and you could spend your whole career doing something different and not get bored. Now, uh, we have a lot of aspiring economic developers and students listening to this podcast every week. Could you provide any, I guess, advice or wisdom, sharing wisdom with them to help them as they take the plunge into this career of economic development? You know, um, I think one of the things that I was told early, or a couple of things, um, when you're uncomfortable, that's when you're going to grow. So kind of make sure that you're going to get out of your, your, your zone of comfort and get out there and push yourself a little bit. Uh, be willing to volunteer for projects that may not seem that it's a good fit for you, but you'll learn a lot. And I think that, Having, especially in economic development, having um, a wide breadth of knowledge on a lot of things in, in your region is good. Um, so being willing to just jump on a team that maybe you didn't think that made sense at first, but um, you never know where these where things can take you. Um, and that you know, especially in our market, um, it's a benefit that you can go from city to city, and you know the titles sometimes 
are different titles. And so you shouldn't have to jump for a title, but jump for the experience and what you're going to learn and what you're going to gain from that could be highly beneficial to get you on the next step. And, you know, especially with, I think, especially in that development, you shouldn't always have a, a clear path of what you want to be achieved because you might lose an opportunity to do something cool, or you might lose an opportunity to go to, to another job that might give you another opportunity. I think there's, there's doors that open all the time in economic development and kind of exploring them um, will help you out in growing and staying within the field. And also be willing to come on to an uncensored podcast, right? <laughs> Correct. You never, you never know, right? I, <laughs> well, Carla, we appreciate you taking the time today to join us. Uh, before you go, how can our listeners find you? Uh, how can they email you? How can they add you on LinkedIn? So, because consultants have beat it into my head to have your contact on your website. So we have it on our website. So um, SRP's website is uh, power to grow PHX. So power to grow PHX.com. And under staff, you'll find my contacts. All right. We appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the weather down there. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find us on the web at www.researchfdi.com, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at ResearchFDI. Tune in next week as we have another guest from the economic development world. 